Dr. Joanna Goody, welcome to the Fishing for Problems podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So can we start by telling the listeners a bit about yourself, where you teach, what you teach, and what the focus of your research is? Sure. So I am located um, on the Kalapuya Elihi, the ancestral homeland and waterways of the Kalapuya people here in Eugene, Oregon. And um, I work in the College of Education where I am the Somerville Knight professor. And part of my work there is working with um, the teacher education program, as well as doing research with doctoral students and also working with undergraduate students, many who become elementary school teachers. And the other part of my job is doing educational research um, in computer science education, particularly around equity, access, inclusion, and justice, um, both systemically and with um, teaching and curriculum at the K-12 level. And why focus on computer science? What, what inspired you to make this, um, yeah, the primary focus of, of your research? Uh, that's a good question. I think one of the things about computer science was I always saw a little um, uh, disconnect between what I saw as the wonderful possibilities that computer science could bring, the creativity that I initially found in my own Commodore 64 and some early programming. And yet when it came time um, to finally take some courses in college and then as I became a high school computer science teacher, um, I just realized that there was something different about this subject that made the most of my friends not want to be part of the class. Like I didn't have my people in these classes. Um, it wasn't a very socially welcoming place in terms of teaching and learning late nights at the computer lab without much sort of support. And I thought, wow, there's something to this discipline where it's wonderful, but it sure does not feel welcoming. And, and so I persisted as a minor in computing. And um, as I became a high school teacher, I suspected that I was going to primarily be a math teacher. Um, I was credentialed as a math teacher. That was my background. But because I had this computing expertise or minor. When um, I was hired as a teacher, the principal noted that. And by my second year teaching high school, I was handed the advanced placement computer science class um, because it was going through a language change. And the former teacher was not interested in teaching object-oriented design or learning a new language. So I began teaching this computer science class my second year as a high school teacher. And the distance I really saw at this very diverse California urban high school was between my zero period computer science class, about 20 students, mostly white um, and a few Asian boys and a sprinkle of girls I would recruit, recruit each year. And then I would flop over to my repeat algebra classes or my geometry classes, and I would have 
lots more students of color, lots more girls. It looked like the rest of the school, um, except for the repeat classes was the opposite. It was pr- predominantly students of color in those classes, also boys, um, in fact. And I thought, what is it that these spaces are so different in a school that with strong social justice leadership, um, with teachers who are invested, why aren't we having conversations about this? And then I realized very few people knew what was going on. They didn't know what computer science was themselves. It was relegated to an elective, so it didn't matter quite as much as some of the concerns around, um, for example, tracking that we were talking about at the school at the time in, in math spaces. And so it sort of flew under the radar, but it, it was clear to me that something bigger was going on in talking to my teacher friends at different schools who also had their hands in computer science education. And so as I returned to graduate school, this was the problem of practice that I was really, you know, um, struggling with. It was sort of like the, I hadn't quite figured it out. And I didn't know that I was going to figure it out in graduate school until I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Jane Margolis, who had just joined UCLA as a researcher um, near the end of my first year of graduate school. And one of my mentors, Jeannie Oakes, said, hey, Jane and Joanna, you must talk together. You share some research interests. And of course, at that time, Jane was finishing a book about um, women in college, um, unlocking the clubhouse book. And um, that really helped me see that there was a foundation in educational research, that this was a field that was ripe for exploration, and that with a collaborative team, including um, Jane and some other graduate students, that we could really conduct research about a field that wasn't really existing in some ways, but where it did have these troublesome um, issues of participation and also really um, issues of exclusion, if we think about it the opposite way. Great, thank you so much for that. And before diving into your research, I'm curious what the general state of computer science education is in the K-12 space. What does it look like in most public schools? And you've been in this space for a long time. How has it changed since you first started teaching computer science uh, at that high school? All good questions. I think for the current landscape, we don't really know, I think is my best answer. And what we do know is that there's a great deal of variety in terms of both depth and breadth, um, depending on where you live. And in some cases, which sorts of academic programs or schools you go to. Um, In our own state of Oregon here, we have very few students um, experiencing computer science. We're one of, we're the only state that doesn't have any computer science education policies. So when we look at participation, for example, in both of the advanced placement um, exams, we only have 900 kids in the entire state of Oregon participating. However, if we compare that to a state that has graduation requirements um, in computer science or has strong efforts in K-8 integration or computational thinking or um, have participated in some of those efforts, I think we see more robust integration 
Um, however, we've also seen from research that implementation um, is quite different than intentions. So when I say we really don't know, um, there has been very little research and investigation on the ground really probing at those issues of what's going on in terms of curriculum and in terms of consistency across teachers, across classrooms, across schools, across districts, and across states. Um, so it's much more of a question about school systems, perhaps, than computer science education, per se. Uh, so that was your first question that I gave you a non-answer to. Um, what has changed? I'll answer that. Um, when we first began thinking about computer science education and research, the only conversation that took place in K-12 arenas um, was around the Advanced Placement Computer Science A course. There was no conception or very little conception that K-12 computer science um, could or even should exist in schools. It was primarily a place where higher education faculty, professors of computer science would um, discuss sort of issues of access and sometimes participation, um, but within the realm of advanced placement computer science. And that was partly because other courses, as our book Stuck in the Shallow End pointed out, were often things like keyboarding or word perfect or word processing. Um, I dated myself a little bit there, um, but sort of more computer literacy. And I think that was maybe an attempt to keep computer science as this um, recognizable subject area for higher education faculty who are teaching, of course, the, the um, college courses in computer science. So that's changed. Now we, we have... Um, exploring computer science in high school. We have other um, courses that have been developed in middle school and elementary school. So there is much more of a conversation about K-12 computer science. And then I think we had other changes related to that, a recognition that you don't have to be a computer science major to become a computer science teacher because third grade teachers don't major in every subject. So, um, uh, having those understandings that professional development and teacher education and pedagogy is just as important, if not more so, than notions of strict um, college-level computer science, um, particularly programming concepts. So I think that's also changed. And lastly, I'd say um, the conversation around equity and access has become not quite universal, but the, that language is almost everywhere. Um, it's not always as meaningful or as in-depth or as action-oriented when it's used everywhere, but I think that rhetoric around computer science education being an equity issue has really taken off and has helped um, not all of the efforts, but many of the visible high-level efforts around computing have really focused on democratizing computer science, broadening participation, raising issues of equity, access, and, and really focusing on that in addition to just growing computer science. 
Thank you so much for that. There was a lot to unpack there, and we're going to get to various topics that you touched upon. But I think the best place to start is to bring up something you mentioned that for a lot of folks, there is no real conception of computer science in the K-12 space beyond that APCS curriculum. So can you define for the audience sort of how you think about computer science? So there's the more technical side, what we maybe would call programming. But if you were to say, put you know, all of your ideas about computer science into a box, what would go into that box? I think that computer science is really actually, um, it's often referred to as a technical field, but I see it much more as a social field, um, in fact, because um, we're often literally um, using computational power and algorithms to solve human problems. Um, and hopefully in the future, more ecological and more than human problems as well as human problems. But I think that takes creativity, it takes relationships, it takes knowledge of community and place of where those problems are situated in order to understand what sorts of technical computational solutions might come together to um, address those particular problems. And I think a second layer might be sometimes there's not a problem. Sometimes it's just aesthetic expression. It's the stuff of living, uh, much like literacy and poetry can bring us the ways that computing might not only might, but can create venues for self-expression and communication and representation of knowledge in ways we can't quite imagine and that's why we need folks from all of these different backgrounds coming together um, to help shape the field. But I think it is an evolving field as we've moved from sort of this notion of coding to really thinking about the social ethical impact, not as a one-off lesson, but as fundamental to doing the work of computing. Yeah, and I appreciate you calling out the idea of CS as an evolving field. I think that's helpful. Um, to, you know, to just wrap your head around. So to begin exploring your research, your first few papers on computer science uh, were focused on an implementation in Los Angeles Unified, and the program was called Exploring Computer Science, or ECS. You referenced it in a previous response. Can you talk about that work, what you were trying to accomplish? How did you go about trying to achieve program goals, what did you learn, and what is the status of the exploring computer science curriculum? So maybe start at the top there. Just, you know, what was that work and what were you hoping to accomplish through it? Well, the work really evolved out of um, our research of Stuck in the Shallow End, which looked at disparities around computer science access. And we really uncovered that without having any without having agreed upon course and common curriculum that could then um, foster professional development opportunities for teachers, that um, it was going to be hard to address these systemic barriers. We actually began with a group of teachers and some of their students for a couple of years focused on growing advanced placement computer science A course. And we grew the course Enrollment soared, particularly amongst um, Latinx 
and Black and female students, but students were not scoring well because they had not taken any computing courses before, and they didn't walk away feeling empowered or really wanting to study computer science again. So exploring computer science was our effort of saying, okay, well, our first intervention, if you will, at the school district level um, around this AP framework did not work. It was not a great match, but there's nothing else. What happens if we create it? So exploring computer science origin was really about creating a course that was not weeding, but a course that was welcoming to all students that required no prerequisites or prior knowledge. And that was built upon um, research in STEM education around inquiry-based teaching and learning. And we initially um, brought Gail Chapman on board and we worked with several teachers in developing some curricular units. And then Gail and I looked at those units, revised, rewrote some lessons, put things all together, did a lot of rewriting so it would all um, go together in a year-long um, curricular, curricular unit or units. And we began piloting the course with a handful of teachers um, in Los Angeles in 2008 and coined or developed a two-year professional development program, which has been really at the heart of the success of exploring computer science, where teachers are practicing teaching and learning the lessons with one another and reflecting on those teaching practices, reading Stuck in the Shallow End, talking about racial justice in computer science and their roles as teachers. And over the years, what we found was not only did this course fit with Los Angeles Unified School District, and we continue to grow the number of teachers teaching the course, but we had some colleagues and friends from Chicago come and participate in an Exploring Computer Science course. They were jazzed about its potential fit in their efforts with Chicago Public Schools. And they, of course, ended up adopting Exploring Computer Science and continue to run professional development workshops for ECS teachers in Chicago. I think we have accomplish some of the goals we've set out to do with exploring computer science. So um, one of the goals is that the teachers who have um, participated in professional development really show an increase in their efficacy and attitudes and skills around teaching, particularly in terms of teaching for equity and culturally responsive teaching. And many of these teachers have talked about how the pedagogy has actually seeped from their ECS class into other subject areas and other classes they're teaching. So in thinking about impact, it's not only about the curriculum. I think we even wrote a paper about it's not just about the curriculum. It's about this pedagogy that's infused with equity and racial justice and gender equity within computing spaces. And the courses continue to grow in different places across the United States and in Puerto Rico. So um, alive and well, we suspect our estimates is that about 55,000 students each year are taking ECS courses nationwide. We also have a cadre of amazing facilitators um, who are teachers themselves 
who help run these professional development workshops. So really creating that leadership within the teaching group to be leaders within the field about um, issues of teaching this course. And how is it situated sort of in juxtaposition to APCS? Is it a prerequisite? Is it is it meant to supplant the AP curriculum? What's its role there? I would say Exploring Computer Science is a course designed for high school students. Advanced Placement is coined as a college-level course, which high school students have access to. So ECS is more of geared towards ninth and 10th graders in particular, but really not meant to leapfrog straight to college level when it comes to computer science, but give students that on-ramp so that if they want to go on and take further coursework, great. If um, they don't, then they still have a foundational understanding of what computer science is and maybe how it will apply to other um, vocational, academic, social interests in their future. And you mentioned something around the focus on pedagogy and some of the practices that you're instilling during these trainings, teachers experiencing some of those practices in their other content areas. I I find computer science particularly compelling in the K-12 space because it's rare that you see a brand new content area having so much momentum as far as something that needs to be taught in that K-12 space. And so it seems to be presenting a unique opportunity if you're interested in addressing inequities in the K-12 space to use computer science as an entry point because you know, in other content areas, getting a math teacher who's been teaching for 10 years or a science teacher or an English teacher who's been teaching for 10 years, it's hard to adjust those pedagogies, uh, but supporting them through the infusion of computer science feels like one way to begin doing that. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I agree. And I think, you know, I'd like to acknowledge that that's because there is a tremendous amount of political influence and funding that has come to computer science. And it shouldn't go without saying out loud that a lot of the reason that funding and pressure continues to come is because private corporations are um, bankrolling some of it and providing that advocacy. And sometimes that runs counter to some of the efforts, particularly when we think about curriculum and who's designing curriculum and who's curriculum designed for. Um, But with that being said, I um, also think about the opportunities that um, this funding and professional development at a large scale level that has happened across the country can bring. And we have heard that from many teachers. There, there isn't the opportunities to think about pedagogy presented because they're an ELA teacher at the same level. Um, and particularly ones that pay stipends and um, honor teaches, teachers' professional time and um, effort. So I think computer science has been an amazing opportunity to allow teachers to come together across disciplines, which also doesn't happen, especially in secondary spaces, to talk about issues of pedagogy and inclusion together. Yes, and it's not just about 
you know, creating a new generation of programmers who go and work for Microsoft, go and work for Google, go and work for, you know, name the big technology company. It's much deeper than that. Yes, exactly. In a 2020 paper titled Computer Science for Equity, Teacher Education Agency and Statewide Reform, you and your co-authors write, quote, computer science for every student thus requires a more disruptive implementation approach than simply providing more opportunities for computing education as opt-in enrichment, end quote. You and other CS researchers propose a goal of broadening the CS pipeline. I have a few questions on this topic. What do you mean by broadening the CS pipeline? And why isn't it just about providing more opportunities for girls and black and brown students to engage in CS activities, as you have alluded to in that quote? Yeah, so, you know, I'm not using pipeline language as much anymore. So that that's a, that's a good relic and a reminder. But I think Part of what we do is we create so many, um, I say we, but often as we think about students being funneled towards computing and computing related careers, there are often so many conditions and then specialization that if, if we're not being more creative about who might, what might be considered a computing related career and be seen as a sign of success, then we're really missing out. So if I want to be a, um, you know, a small bookstore bookstore owner, but I want to be able to develop apps and build web, like, does that mean I'm a failure and I have not done anything computer science related? And so I really um, think it's, it's maybe less about broadening the pipeline and more thinking about computer science as a literacy so that it's at that foundation of lots of different pathways, not just um, you have to be identified for the pathway in order to even have exposure to the field. Yep. And I, I work for a tech company. I've worked for a few tech companies over the last five years, but I do not have a technical background. I'm not particularly good at programming, but I see my ability at times to influence the products we develop. And I think it's important to recognize that opportunity and you know, having that foundation in computer science also helps me identify some of the limitations of the programs and the platforms that uh, the companies I work for are developing. So it helps me do my job better, but I am in no way uh, a computer scientist. That human-computer interaction like, is, a, is a big part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that second question? So why it isn't just about providing more opportunities for girls and black and brown students to engage in CS activities? Because, you know, it does seem that an underlying goal is to try to get more women and people of color into the CS space. And so it stands to reason that, well, let's just teach computer science in every school in the country, and there are going to be more women and black and brown people in that space, but it's much deeper and more complex uh, than that. So can you speak to that? Sure. I think there's probably two layers to that. Um, one is is maybe um, not entirely what you intended, but it does happen. A, a computer science learning opportunity at the school is not the same as computer science learning opportunities for each child at the school. 
Um, so the design is different. The professional development scope is different. If you're talking about one section at the high school in the master calendar with one teacher versus um, two-week units in every K-5 classroom across the school district. So I think um, it has to go beyond a single class in the enrichment place um, because we know what happens for in single classes with enrichment places. Um, I can't think of a, a single counterexample of when it doesn't end up being white, middle and upper class privileged students every single time whenever we deem anything in the enrichment space. And so we have to think differently. We have to classify things and make them really, truly, authentically accessible for every single student. And maybe the, the counter is reading literacy. We don't say it's really important for children to read. So we've added one class and trained a teacher in it. We ensure that it's part of the core curriculum that teachers are prepared in teacher education and hopefully some PD along the way, um, that they have professional conversations, that there's culturally responsive curriculum. That, that's something we just do. We don't relegate it to the side and trust that adults will put aside all the biases and systemic injustices we know exist to maybe do something different. They, it won't be something different. We have evidence time and time again. So that that's, a, that's another piece. And then I would say the final layer, if you will, is when we talk about the actual curriculum and pedagogy, um, and making sure it is relevant, it is engaging, it is identity affirming, it is culturally responsive, it is rooted in community problems um, or um, assets. And so it, it's not just the same curriculum from the 1980s now provided to more um, demographically diverse students, but it's the curriculum um, being presented in a way that all students can sort of see themselves in and understand its impact in their lives and the community's lives. And so that's also a little bit different than just saying, let's do more of the same that's worked for these students so far, because if we're um, trying to really engage Black students, Latinx students, Indigenous students, we have to think beyond what has worked in classrooms for white students, primarily white boys, as we think about curriculum and pedagogy and be really intentional about um, being culturally affirming and engaging and not doing so in tokenizing ways, but doing so in ways that are rooted in the values and knowledge of the community. So what does that look like in practice? And maybe you can speak a little bit to the Exploring Computer Science curriculum. Um, I've looked through the curriculum and there are some super interesting ways to think about uh, introducing computer science and teaching it in the high school classroom. So, you know, for somebody who hears that response and wonders, yeah, that's great. What can I do in my classroom? What does it actually, what does it actually look like practically? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give a couple examples. Our first day of um, exploring computer science, the first lesson of the first day, uh, asked students to, and you know, pre-COVID, but it works, it's beautiful because it still works. Um, it still works at home or in hybrid settings too. But um, 
to look around the room and come up with a number of how many computers are in the room and then talk to an elbow partner, come up with a conversation, talk to table partners, come up, agree upon a number, propose it to the class, and then start having discussions about what does everybody in the class agree is a computer? What is definitely not a computer? And what is the long list of maybes? What is the list, you know, maybe includes the watches or the fire, you know, the smoke detectors or um, the plant in the corner that is taking in some input. So it sets the tone of if you were a programmer in your basement for the last two years, you are not the person who knows everything in this class. This this knowledge is contested in some ways. Um, a group of women used to be computers, right? As we talk about how, again, this is an evolving field and even our language and vocabulary and definitions are evolving. And I think that sets a tone that computer science is not something that is just static and it's not something that is agreed upon, but it is this place that is um, they can see themselves in it and coming up with an argument. And also that it is a field filled with collaboration and communication of your ideas, right? So that's one example. As we get, you know, the first couple units of ECS are um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the curriculum is unplugged like that. But we also have um, some lessons around the culturally situated design tools that Ron Eglash um, and his colleagues have designed. And one of our canonical lessons in exploring computer science has students uh, read about, learn about um, the history and the sociocultural roots of cornrow braiding. And um, then with that knowledge, um, designing cornrow curves of their own, really thinking about it often brings up conversations around cultural appropriation and respect for cultures. And do we really talk about race in computer science? We have heard from teachers and students, um, students saying things like, it's one of the first times I've ever seen myself in the curriculum. It was great to see my knowledge and my family's knowledge as something that I could bring in. And so some of those examples of just leaving space for not, not always and trying not to ever, but not um, relying on whiteness as sort of a default when we think about curriculum and um, what are the other knowledge around computational heritage and uses in communities that are maybe not about capitalism or selling a product in Silicon Valley, but still about these same concepts that um, computer science is deeply rooted in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that response. And I'll try to link uh, that article, or I think there are a couple articles from Eglash, because uh, I came across that a couple of years ago. I hadn't uh, been introduced to uh, to those concepts, and um, I think they're they're super interesting. You you made. Um, uh, or use the term unplugged. Can you just quickly um, just explain what that means, unplugged versus plugged? Sure. So unplugged is is a an approach to um, computing education designed by um, Tim Bell initially. Though lots of people have taken this idea, he has a great set of materials, and it's teaching 
computing concepts without using the computer. So things like manipulatives, worksheets, role-playing types of approaches for um, initial understanding of, of ideas. We do a few in ECS, so one might be a, a sorting algorithm where students are given bags filled with candy of varying weights, and they have to come up with a, an algorithm to sort those bags um, with the rule being that they can only compare two bags at a single time. So switching gears a little bit, I referenced the 2020 paper. And in that paper, you wrote, quote, finally, we cannot overstate the importance of teachers as social change agents in expanding normative notions about who belongs in computer science classes in 21st century high schools, end quote. So as you referenced earlier, CS is, I would say, a best and elective in the K-12 space. And there are multiple stakeholder groups within this, this field who can work to let's not say broaden the CS pipeline, but truly increase access to computer science um, among all populations. So what do you see as the role of these various groups? So teachers, school leaders, central office personnel, and State Department of Education staff uh, are a few groups I can think of. Maybe let's just start with teachers. If we get to the others, great. But um, I think that's probably the, the best place to start. Yeah, teachers are the ones that enact this all. You know how this works. So I think, you know, teachers bring their the art of pedagogy and can really make the curriculum and make the connection between curriculum, students, local school community, and also create that stellar reputation for computer science education. Um, I think all the advocacy in the world, and we certainly have seen a lot from the top down, um, everything from governors to state superintendents and so forth down, but it comes to the enthusiasm and the enactment of an engaging learning experience that students are really going to remember, and that's what's going to have the impact. This is where policies are maybe sometimes necessarily necessary, but certainly not sufficient without having, one, the buy-in of teachers that this is important and worthwhile of their time and their students' time. And then secondly, the resources to be able to, you know, to bring um, the learning to the level that is, um, you know, is ideal for for teachers and their students. And we've really seen teachers be that those champions of change over and over again, both within their students, which is absolutely essential, but also with that, that stellar reputation and students talking and teachers doing advocacy work at their own school site, um, educating their guidance counselors, advocating for more classes or support or resources for computer science education with their administrators. We've seen a lot of the, the magic happen that way. If you look at one of the, um, the, some of the origin stories of Chicago public schools, and I highly recommend a podcast with those folks um, talking about their graduation requirements, they really... Um, they really also um, saw that investing in sort of that district-wide support was important, but it was teachers who initially came together as a computer science teachers association chapter, worked with some higher education folks and said, 
what can we do to bring computer science not only from our selective high schools, but across the district to our colleagues and their schools as well. And it was really this teacher-driven bottom-up effort in which they also um, sort of galvanized the port to do the policy work. Um, but it's really a huge testament to um, the type of huge, not only individual pedagogical student level change, which again is essential, but in some cases also this huge systemic change uh, when you have the, the teachers on the side of this, this effort of social change, um, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And no amount of policy is going to be successful, uh, no matter how much you want it to be, without actually training teachers how to uh, implement, you know, whatever it might be in this case, uh, a specific curriculum. And and your research seems to operate at that intersection of equity, computer science, and professional development. I hope that's more or less an accurate description, but can you just briefly describe what you see as the role of professional development um, as it relates to computer science in, in the K-12 space? And you can also you know, reference some of the work that you're doing with ECS. Sure. I think it's essential. I think it's primarily the reason we've experienced so much change on the ground in K-12 education is because I think thankfully with the support of the National Science Foundation, they really valued an approach and funded an approach to growing computer science education through professional development supports for teachers as a uh, primary lever for change. And in our experience, we've really found that, um, and our data from our professional development has reinforced that the pedagogical change, um, along for many teachers of learning the content, but really the pedagogical change and shift towards inquiry-based pedagogy, knowing the concepts of computing to be able to ask those probing questions of students, but also being comfortable with not knowing everything takes a while for that, that those new pedagogical approaches to set in. And specifically, our work resonates with that in STEM education, which has shown that it's at least 80 hours over the course of 12 plus months in order to change teacher practice. So sustained professional development Lots of lots of hours, a community of learners where there's trust to dig in. There's places for practicing feedback, reflections, working with students, and then coming back again. That really has shifted um, teachers' uh, knowledge and skills, especially around some of those pedagogical practices. So long-term investment, though, to um, support teachers over the course of two years. Though so our research, particularly in terms of dispositions around equity, lots of teachers say, you know, when I read this last year, um, I was interested and I learned a lot, but it wasn't until I taught it and revisited it this year and made the link about racial justice and my own pedagogy. And it all came together and it really, um, many people um, note that it's the extended time that has, and community that has allowed 
them to have that learning. Um, so it's a little bit different from the let's learn how to teach coding and four hour type of approach. But again, if we look at implementation, it's the um, type of pedagogical commitment that is required to actually sustain teacher practice and change. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a 2001 paper by, I think it's Michael Garrett, and then a few papers by Laura Desimone, uh, who I think is out of University of Delaware around professional development, that one of their uh, primary conclusions is that you need sustained professional development. And as a former teacher, I can absolutely attest to that fact. Those one-off PDs, uh, you know, just aren't going to be as effective. And I think that example that you just provided was informative because you can't ask somebody to do everything at once. It takes time for, uh, you know, them settling in, learning the curriculum a little bit, practicing it before they can begin to truly explore the depths and possibilities of, uh, you know, of that new content. Mm -hmm. I should add one other piece that is also um, maybe not unexpected, but important is that when those teachers come back for a second year in exploring computer science professional development, they overlap. They're in the same workshop as the mm -hmm. first year ECS teachers, which fosters leadership within the community, multi-cohort sorts of wisdom of practice. And then when conversations come up like, hey, I'm a little nervous about teaching cornrows or does anybody have any advice? We have folks in the room who say, well, I felt that way last year. Just trust the, you know, go through the process. Um, here, here's my email. Let's connect. And suddenly there is this growth in leadership within the second year teachers, but some um, authority in terms of like, I actually tried this. I realized how much I don't know. And that's why I'm back. But I'm also here to help these first year teachers who are thinking about these things for the first time. And that has been such a joy to be part of when you have all these different layers of learning going on together and teachers really supporting and holding each other up together. Absolutely. Yeah. The role of teachers as ambassadors. And I think anytime you can give teachers informal opportunities to be leaders, uh, you should absolutely uh, try to take advantage of that. So I want to conclude with uh, a new segment of the podcast. Um, you're going to be our, our pilot participant. Uh, what excites you about the work being done in K-12 classrooms to promote CS instruction? And what's one thing that you're concerned about? Ooh, I think um, some of the things that excite me are the applications uh, that are more artistically and creatively inclined and less about um, computer science um, for making money or for security, but more about expression and empowerment, I think, um, and political social identities, that type of expression, I think, some of the work I've done with some colleagues in um, the electronic textiles has shown us some of the work that students can create in those atmospheres. And I suspect it's happening in other places too. So I'm very excited about moving beyond this paradigm of, you know, mimicking capitalism as the framework for what we should be producing in computer science classes and getting a little bit 
away from the workforce orientation and more towards community and student empowerment. So, and I've seen a lot of that. And a lot of that is also by amazing teachers, many who are um, Black, Indigenous, people of color teachers who are um, really wedding some of these ideas of abolitionist teaching and computer science together and um, really doing phenomenal work. I hope we hear more um, and continue to elevate some of those ideas. So that is what I am excited for that is sort of happening um, in pockets in K-12 computer science education. And you had a second question, I think. Uh, one thing that you're concerned about. So excited and concerned. Ooh. Okay, well, since I just alluded to it, I think I'm concerned about the capitalism in computer science education. I'm concerned about um, big tech and in some cases, little tech, determining curriculum in public schools, uh, involvement in teacher education in public schools, um, and whose interests are being served um, with that particular approach. Um, we don't see this in any other subject matter in K-12 schools. It is an anomaly, and I think we need to be having a lot more critical conversations about what it means to have the involvement of industry in discussions that um, are maybe left best up to educators and those with experience. And yet, because they come with the funding, um, uh, the community um, does not always, and schools do not always turn those folks away. So um, that is a area of concern. And I think it continues to grow as we see some, we continue to see some of the problematic aspects, particularly around um, race and gender within those technology companies themselves. And if we're gonna really try to um, disrupt these racial and gender disparities, mimicking the exact companies that are the ones notorious for systemizing those disparities is the wrong direction. And so I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that. Dr. Joanna Goody, thank you so much for joining the Fishing for Problems podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it.